This week's adventure in DevOps. Oh, Will, you're already laughing at me. Hey, <laughs> these guys put me on the spot to do the intro, and now they're laughing at me. Uh, all right. Well, I'm Jillian Rowe, and with me this week is Will Button and Jonathan Hall. Hi, guys. Hey. Howdy. And technically, I'm laughing with you, not at you, because you were laughing too. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's okay. I only felt a little bit put on the spot. I'll forgive you someday. To be fair, I did say, okay, let's go and then hit record. It's okay. I'll stand with Jillian that she was put on the spot, but I fully support putting Jillian on the spot. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about today, guys? All right. We're going to talk about CI, CD tools. What do you use? What do you hate? Why do oh. you use it? You get a choice. Does your job just like dictate it for you or do you have like some kind of some kind of input into this decision. Why would you make your decisions? Who wants to hit us up first? Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Jonathan, I think you suggested the topic, so I should get to put you on the spot now. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it, it's a big topic. So the reason I thought of it is uh, earlier this week, this last week uh, on LinkedIn, one of my contacts asked the public, which CICD tool would you like me to use in a demo about how to get started with CICD? Which led into a bigger conversation of which ones are people... And, and I, I, she did a poll, which gave four options. And none of the four options were things I'd even used before. And I've used probably a dozen of them. So yeah, that, that just goes to show that there's a, a huge op, uh, selection of tools to, to pick from. And I don't know how she chose her four, but uh, I, I think it was Jenkins and whatever AWS provides and, and, uh, and maybe Azure DevOps and, and I don't know what else. But, you know, it, it's a good conversation to have, I think. How do you choose one of these tools to use? Because there's so many and they, and they all do roughly the same thing. They all automate the running of, of tasks, which can be t running tests, building software, tagging releases, ordering pizza, perhaps, whatever they, whatever they do. They can, they can automate these things. So... Yeah, I, I don't know how we want to tackle this. I mean, I, if somebody asks me quickly, Jonathan, what CSD tool do you prefer? I have a quick answer to that, and that is GitLab CI. But that's not a very useful answer without a lot of context, because that's not the answer I would give to everybody. And if they ask me what should they do, that's a different question than what do I prefer. So yeah, I don't know how we want to tackle this today. I think that I think there's like two different ways to answer this. You know, there's I'm starting out choosing a CI CD tool. And we have a CI CD tool in place and we want to replace it. 
And mm. for that latter question, my go-to response is always don't. I mean, they all have things that they're good at and bad at. And the cost of transitioning from one to the other, there's just not enough value in it because you might solve one specific problem, but you're introducing other problems that you don't know you have problems with yet. I tend to agree. It's always a trade-off. Yeah. yeah. Everything like that is a trade-off. The best CICD is the one that you already have installed. Usually, yeah. So there are times when it's appropriate to change, but not for that reason. Like, like if you're, if you're changing from Atlassian to GitHub, for example, you may need to change from Bamboo to GitHub Actions at the same time, but not because you want to change your CICD tool, just because you're changing everything else simultaneously. For sure. So I, I would almost, I mean, there have been times when I've migrated off of a CICD tool, but there were, there were cases where it was not being used properly or being used very little. So there was very little invested and it wasn't doing much for us. So, you know, it was basically a proof of concept that we decided not to, to continue with, if you want to think of it that way. So that, that's a different scenario than I think what you're talking about. If you have a CICD configured and already doing something valuable, think really hard before changing. <laughs> really, really hard. When, you, when you're done thinking hard... Go think hard again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think there are some good stories behind those opinions. Do you guys have any like emotional trauma to share around switching up the IC tools and then realizing it was it was a terrible, terrible mistake? Or clearly, you guys have never made such a mistake like that, right? No, never. no. I thought really hard and decided not to do it. <laughs> I've. I think my experience forming that opinion has been from. Not from switching, but from having exposure to several different ones. Like I've used GitLab, I've used Jenkins, I've used Circle CI, Travis CI, and all of them. Like I, I can't see the value. There, there's use cases for it, but I can't see on the surface the value in switching from one to the other because I've, I've used a lot of them and each has their own strengths and weaknesses, but not enough to justify rebuilding all of that stuff, especially if you have like a lot, have it doing a lot. You know, if you have a lot of different pipelines, that's going to be some, some pain. And at the, at the end, you know, what did you really gain? What value did the customers who are buying or using your product get from you switching the CICD solution? I want to add to that. And there might be times when it's appropriate to change. If you're using an antiquated tool, for example, or it's just too slow and or it doesn't integrate with things you're needing to do. But if you go that route, don't change everything at once. Just implement the new things you need. I know that there's the engineer and every one of us hates this idea of maintaining two systems, but it's worth it versus <laughs> trying to do, trying to ram everything into the new system and breaking stuff along the way. Just admit that you're going to, maintain two systems, one for the new stuff that immigrates with the Raspberry Pis or whatever weird thing you're trying to do, and the old one that manages the old stuff. Cool. Well, what about uh, somebody who's switching to, or not switching, but starting Clean Slate, new project, project CI/CD tool, what are kind of the scenarios where we would choose one or the other? I have one right off the bat. If you have data or some kind of uh, data or software that has to be private, there are scenarios where you can use the open ones like GitHub, GitHub Circle, all that kind of thing. Most of them now, I think, do allow for at least some actions or like CICD minutes, or I forget exactly how it's metered. I think on GitHub, it's either the number of actions or the number of minutes. I forget how much uh, for private repositories, but it's often quite limited unless you're on a public repository. So that could be a reason to change. You're like, okay, we have this heavy duty workload. It has to be private for some reason. 
So either we need to take GitHub a bunch of money or we need to move it onto something in-house like Jenkins or GitLab that's managed internally. But really, that's it. That's the only like differentiation that I make because all my stuff is in make files anyways. So I can be on GitHub. I can be on Jenkins. I can be anywhere because it's all call and make, you know, like make test or whatever. And then there we are. So my, my simple answer is use whatever's easiest to get started with. And if you're using GitHub, that probably means GitHub Actions. If you're using GitLab, it probably means GitLab CI. If you're using Bitbucket, it probably means Bamboo. If you're, I, I don't know when it would ever mean Jenkins. I, I, I can't think of a reason to start using Jenkins unless you're already <laughs> using it. So, <laughs> what do you have? To uh, or maybe you just want to be, become a. Maybe you like pain and, and like to learn old systems because it feels fun. Like you know. Get a Commodore 64 at the same time. Why, why don't you? You but can run I, I Jenkins don't. on a Commodore 64. Can you? <laughs> I <don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can't, but it sounds like a good project. I think I might have to learn Jenkins and Commodore 64s now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that, that's my short answer. However, so, so that what that usually means, for, if somebody takes that at face value, that probably means using GitHub Actions because it's it's easy. It, it, most people use GitHub and, and therefore GitHub Actions. However, I think GitHub Actions is actually a really bad tool. It feels like a version 0.6 of GitLab CI. You know, it feels like it has a lot of rough edges still. It's not really intuitive to use yet. The one killer feature it has over GitLab CI is is this sort of pre-bundled ability to just plop in other people's code. What do they call it? A marketplace. You can just, you know, choose an action from some random person off the street and start running it. <laughs> Which also strikes me as really dangerous. It's like it's like it's like npm for for GitHub Actions, and like who wants that really? Right. <laughs> yeah, I just picked up the Helm releaser from GitHub Actions. There's, I don't know what the Docker Docker build push. Like that's that's it. That's all I'm doing. Or make so if if you don't care about security. <laughs> <laughs> Well, see, no, if you care about security, I still think you should be hosting it in-house. That's, I think that's... Well, there's different aspects of security, though. I mean, yeah, if, if you, I mean, it depends on how much you care about security, right? But I mean, if you don't care about security and you want easy, then maybe GitHub Actions is fine if you don't have to edit them yourself. If you need to edit them yourself, then the learning curve goes up really quickly compared to yeah, just picking to something from the... Don't you? At least yeah. in, in YAML and... and uh, and, and more than that, I mean, JavaScript isn't the hard part. It's it's the the format and, and the way the different actions interact with each other and trying to tie, plug them together. So if you need something more more customized, I think GitLab CI is far easier to use than GitHub Actions. For simple things, either any of them will work. I mean, if you're just writing a shell script, you, you can do that anywhere. Right. Uh, but if you need something more complicated, I feel like GitLab is easier. Uh, part of that part of that's probably because I've been using it longer, so it, it, I, I have the mental model better in my head. But I've heard many other people say the same that they feel like GitLab CI is more mature product than GitHub Actions. That probably won't be true forever. I complicated. Like, do you have to build for a bunch of different hardware? So you have like really complicated matrix builds because I'm just running make test. Like ninety percent of the time, well, it's like make test and Docker build, and that's yeah. If that's all you're doing, you're you're pretty good to go. If you're trying to deploy to Kubernetes at the same time. Uh, you know, if you, if you want to automate your deployments to, to Kubernetes or to Heroku or to, to whatever, then, uh, to Firebase, then you have other things that need to be done. You need to integrate your, your authentication with those things. So, you know, there's a certain number of complex steps that need to happen. If you start to do inter-step dependencies, things get complicated very quickly. Uh, in other words, say you have five repositories and they each build an artifact and then 
whenever one of those is updated, you need to rebuild a master artifact that, that takes you know those libraries and compiles them together into a single thing and then deploys it. So things like that, they can start to get complicated quickly. And no doubt you can do any of these things with any of the tools. It's a question of how difficult. <laughs> and, and this is why, going back to Will's early point, if you already have this working, for God's sake, don't redo it. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think about these like really specialized CI CD tools that I'm starting to see pop up? So we were talking a bit before the show, as we do before we press record, about this tool that I'm using called Spacelift, which is I think it's kind of supposed to be like Terraform Cloud, except hopefully hopefully less expensive for me and my wallet. But um, no, no, I'm kidding. Like it looks good, but it has these sort of like managed Terraform environments, and it's very specifically for people doing Terraform who care about security and policies and maybe building different Terraform modules and also protecting your like your stacks as well. So you can insert these policies to, you know, say, don't kill it if this happens or kill it if this happens. Like these kind of things that are very specific to deploying infrastructure. And I think now GitHub has one maybe for JavaScript or for CI, like, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. But I do feel like it's kind of a trend to see these more very specialized CI CD services pop up for particular frameworks and code tools and things. Are you guys seeing that too? I haven't, but I'm the work I'm I've been on recently has been pretty generic work, you know, not anything specific. That sounds like it's pretty pretty siloed to address a specific use case. And I I can imagine if you're in that use case, you're feeling that pain. But if you're not in that use case, then you probably don't know that it exists. So I, I have not used any specific tools like that, but I've definitely used things that are intended to plug into an existing CI CD tool or pipeline for specific needs. And you know, simple things like you know, Sonar Cube is an example, or, or depending on the tech stack you're using, you might have specific linters uh, for your for your language or your your tool set. You know, we had a guest on a few months ago talking about doing this sort of analysis for Kubernetes manifests. And you know, so you know, that would be a tool that you could plug into any CI CD pipeline, whether it's GitHub or GitLab or Jenkins or whatever. Uh, so I've used a lot of those. And, you know, so you sort of build up your pipeline with all these different tools. Some of those sometimes are, are more SaaS than like a, a tool. Uh, one that I've used is called CodeCov or other code coverage tools. Uh, Coveralls is another one uh, where they just do like reporting of your, your test coverage stats. Uh, but they, they usually have a, a thin hook into your CICD tool that reports the stats with a command line tool or over a REST API or something like that. And then you log into their web interface to, to see all the fancy reporting they do. So it's kind of a hybrid solution there. You know, it's, it's a, it's a standalone tool, but it hasn't hooked into your existing thing. I think what you're talking about is more of a, a holistic thing for a specific use case, if I'm not mistaken. And, and it sounds like it more maybe applies more to like a, a low code or no code type of product or, or, or maybe not product, but like problem solving. I don't know how, how I, I don't know if I understand exactly what you're saying. <laughs> What I'm seeing is a lot of enterprise companies that are having trouble hiring people or maybe just don't want to hire, you know, like as many people as they need and are starting to outsource to these different agencies and different services. So instead of hiring their own Terraform expert, they're going to Terraform Cloud and signing up for whatever the highest SLA plan is and getting some kind of support through that. So I'm not even sure that it's so much the software as it is about the support, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, like when, when I'm actually looking at it, I'm like, ah, which way is that? So... I don't know. I don't know because I'm I'm still pretty new to these kind of things myself. I am checking out Spacelift uh, for some of my like for some of my stacks and things, and it does look like it will be good, especially after I had a very expensive AWS bill a couple months ago. 
<laughs> last month. That wasn't even a couple months ago. I just got like, you know, I'm still upset about that. So that's kind of what made me start. That's, that's what made me start looking at this kind of thing was that I had this really expensive AWS bill. And I was like, oh, maybe I should make sure my stats are actually getting destroyed when I think they should be getting destroyed. And since I just had a $2,000 AWS bill, maybe it would be worth me throwing a couple hundred bucks a month at it because that's, I mean, 2000 that's 10 months of space lift while I'm looking at it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm still figuring these things out too. In case anybody thought I had any answers, the answer is no, I don't. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just figuring this out as we go along. I'm curious to hear which CICD tools each of us have used and, and maybe just brief impressions. You know, did you like Jenkins or not like Jenkins and why, you know, in, in a sentence or two? I love and hate Jenkins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've used it quite a bit. And the thing I love about it is you can do absolutely anything with it. And the, the thing I hate about it is you can do just absolutely anything with it. So like Jira. Yeah. Yeah. I had a scenario. I know this is longer than my two sentences, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> the, a few years back, I was working with a company and, uh, I think this ties into your statement about which CICD, you know, do the simple one. We had one that we were moving this application from Heroku to AWS and Heroku has their own pipeline tool that works really, really slick. And I wanted to, in moving to AWS, I wanted to make sure that we didn't lose any features. And so we went with Jenkins and the scenario was, you know, you would write your code, you would push it up, you would run the tests, all pretty straightforward stuff. But then when you open up a pull request, we would create a pull request environment. So we would spin up the Docker containers, uh, provision the databases, create the load balancers, create the Route 53 DNS entries, all of that stuff so that anyone who was reviewing your code had a working environment to see what the actual end product looked like. And then when that pull request was either merged or closed, it tore down that environment and that kicked off the build process to build the Docker images, push those up into the AWS Docker registry, deploy to the staging environment and and all of that kind of stuff. So it was pretty, there was a lot of moving pieces and nothing really had the ability to do that without writing your own Python, accessing the Boto3 library. And so that's where Jenkins came in handy because you could just give it this application or this code that accessed Boto3 and it would do it. And then you could secure that with IAM permission so that Jenkins only had access to what it needed to, which was still a lot because it had access to S3 and RDS and Fargate and Route 53 and the load balancers and all that kind of stuff. That is cool, though. Human in the loop. Well, I like it. <laughs> yeah. And the part that I hate about that is when you get to that level of Jenkins, you know, you write you write your Boto3 stuff and then you have a Jenkins DSL that knows how to call and access that. And when there's an error in it, you get a Java stack, stack trace. So a Java stack trace that refers to a DSL that refers to a Python Boto3 library. So the, any error messages you got were just absolutely worthless. Fascinating. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. 
So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Have you used any others or is that really the main one you've, you've used, Will? That's the only one I've really gone deep with. I've used CircleCI and Travis and GitLab, but all for just really high level basic CICE stuff, nothing that extensive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My first introduction to CICD was with Travis. Uh, I was working at a company several years ago where we actually hosted our own on-prem Travis, uh, Travis Enterprise. So that was the first time I used uh, CI, and I really, I really liked it. I later came to prefer the GitLab model, which maybe Travis has changed since then. But uh, GitLab has the concept of pipelines, and Travis didn't really have that concept. So I, I prefer the pipeline approach. In fact, if, if somebody was going to ask me, how would you choose a good CI tool? I would say that to be the first thing you look for is does it have pipeline support? Because you know, it doesn't have to. I don't know if Jenkins does. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it uses that model. Okay. It does, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that model is available. Like if okay. you just log into Jenkins and point and click your way to success, you don't get the pipeline model, but there is, uh, if you write your own pipelines and that's what we did there, there was a, we created a Jenkins library that executed the pipeline. And then each development team had a YAML file in their repo where they could specify how many running containers they wanted, the memory and CPU allocated to each Docker container. And for auto scaling, you could specify your metrics of whether you scaled on memory, CPU, or latency and what that value was. Mm-hmm. Right. I've also used Circle a little bit on one of the open source projects I help with. So I don't have extensive experience. My, my main experience with Circle is that I find the dashboard confusing. But that's probably just because I haven't used it enough. Mm-hmm. I've also used CodeShip uh, at a company several years ago. I didn't really like that one very much. We actually migrated from CodeShip to Travis. We broke all the rules that we'll talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually at the company, at that company, we had we were using like three different CI tools. Like each team would pick their own, and so it was more of a consolidation thing than it was a a, a real migration. And it wasn't doing anything complicated. It was doing what what Jillian talked about, basically make tests and make builds, and that's kind of all it did. So I've also used, of course, GitHub Actions and GitLab. I talked about both of those. There's probably a few others I've I've dabbled with, but those are the ones I've, I have the most experience with, and. And uh, the main reason I like GitLab is because, well, two reasons, really. The, the first is I like the pipeline model. And second is I, I like the GitLab I- interface in general. I feel like it's a, a more complete solution than, than GitHub, although GitHub is catching up. Since Microsoft's acquisition, they've been adding a lot of new features. But yeah, so that, that, that's that's my experience. I think, yeah, I've used all the kind of all the big names. I've used Jenkins when I've used something in-house. Travis, I think Travis was the first one that I used for like a big open source project because we were using Travis and that's, it was there and we're, I think it was, it was probably one of the first like, I mean, I kind of think it was one of the first like publicly available ones, right? That was free, that was available for open source projects. So we were on that. Mm -hmm. And then I think we switched to Circle because the Circle guys were throwing some cash at open source projects and, you know, open source projects, we always need the cash. So we're there. And then actually, I've been kind of, uh, I suppose, breaking all the rules by kind of rolling a lot of my own solutions lately, which is that I do a lot of this. I do a lot of like human in the loop and things that specifically need a really specific, almost editorial workflow where there has to be at some point a person who approves something and they can't like they're scientists usually. So they can't you can't give them like a stack trace. All right. Like that's not okay. We can't give normal people stack traces. All right. Like we're 
we're not doing that over here. Uh, so, you know, so one thing that I've really been liking lately is to use, I'll actually use Airflow, Apache Airflow, which is, it's a workflow orchestration engine. So it, I mean, it's there to build basically data pipelines, but then because it's built on um, Python and Flask, which is a like a web framework that I'm familiar with, it's really easy to build like plugins and additional interfaces and things like this. So let's say I have like, you know, one of these pipelines that's generating tools and then one of those tools and then another tool will generate some kind of QC metrics on this tool. At some point, a person has to make a decision on this. And sometimes it's a part of a data engineering workflow and sometimes it's a part of a software workflow that is, you know, still informed by data engineering workflow because the software has to produce correct data. So it's all kind of, there's a lot of gray area between the data engineering and the software, uh, the software engineering is what I'm saying. So I've really been liking that lately because, yeah, because again, I can give like people who need actual like web interfaces, I can give them pretty easily web interfaces, but at the same time, it's all just really integrated into the workflow and I can automate as much as can be automated. So normally it will look like, you know, we have like three steps and then there will be some points where a human has to approve something. The human will get like a yes, no kind of form. And then that feeds back to Airflow and will either pick off the rest of the workflow or cancel it depending on how that how that ends up going. If I'm not doing anything that complicated, though, I tend to just use GitHub Actions because it usually is just like make build, make test. And we the, problem with, the problem with starting with whatever is easy because it's not complicated is six months later, it's complicated. <laughs> and then you're married to that tool. <laughs> but that's the problem with like make files versus bash scripts versus Perl or Python or something like that. Like, oh, it's just simple. I'll just use make test. And then six months later, you have the 6,000 line make file and nobody can understand it. And you're like, I should have done this in Python. <laughs> I don't think I'm quite ready to give up my make files, Jonathan. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I like make. <laughs> Although I, I like make, but I have done some really nasty make stuff before. Stuff I would these days never do again. I think, I mean, I have no problem. Yeah, I'm pretty sure make is Turing complete and it should not be. No, I think there's a really good lesson hidden in there, though. One of the keys, I think, to making successful pipelines is to wrap all of your individual steps up into a smaller command and then just have the pipeline call that command so when you look at the pipeline it's like oh it does these five things and now those five things might represent a bunch of other smaller tasks but i think that's still more easily understood by someone coming in to work on it than if you have a cicd pipeline that has 600 individual steps in it yeah well that's what i like about airflow is that um right out the gate you get a picture of the, the directed acyclic graph so you know step one or step two depends upon step one which if that's successful it goes here if it's not successful it goes here like it gives you a picture of that right in the dashboard so you can see it and then you can actually click on each individual part and it like colors it based on whether or not it was successful and this kind of stuff so i just find it much more intuitive for like a person you know to deal with rather than um any of the other ci cd workflows i mean yeah. i use them because they're there and they're free but like if I'm going to build anything complicated, most of the time these days, I just go build it in Airflow. I think GitLab does a fairly good job of that, of visualizing the pipeline and the, you know, how the, how the build or how the pipeline is going to run and which steps are dependent and which one failed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go try out GitLab. I actually think GitLab is probably one of the ones I haven't really used. 
One thing I really like about GitLab is that it's so easy to start your own runners. I run a, some private projects which aren't eligible for their free open source uh, unlimited minutes or whatever. And so every month I get this thing, you've used your, I don't know how many minutes, your 400 minutes or whatever, upgrade now for like $12 or whatever it is. I'm like, no, uh, I just, I, I have a hetzner.de account for I think $3 a month. And I just run a GitLab runner on there and I connect to that. And so for three bucks a month, I have unlimited minutes. It's super easy to do that. I haven't logged into that server for probably two years, probably been hacked by now. I don't know. <laughs> it's mining blockchain. <laughs> I think GitHub Actions is going to be adding support for the, uh, maybe they have already added the ability to run your own runners too. But I mean, that's also really nice if you have special hardware you need to be using. If you need to, a GPU to run your tests or something, or you want to run on an ARM system or Raspberry Pi or something like that. That's something that, 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 in fact, that's a reason we didn't discuss at the beginning. If you have special needs like that, you're going to be limited in which CI CD tools you can use. Uh, like Travis CI, I believe, offers Linux and Mac. Maybe they do Windows now. I'm not sure. But if you need to run your code against Windows on Windows servers or a Raspberry Pi or whatever, you're going to have, you're going to be limited in, in the choices you have. Uh, so that's one nice thing about being able to run your own runners that GitLab gives you. And I think GitHub Actions either does or soon will. Uh, you can set up your own runners to access your hardware encryption devices or your MPEG encoders or whatever random kind of custom stuff you might need. Uh, so that, that's something to think about too. Yeah. Specifically, if you're building iOS apps. I've, I've dealt with that quite a bit, and that's a huge pain because it's got to be done on a Mac. So you're either using a Mac that you have physical access to as a runner, or there are some uh, third-party services that will integrate with your CI/CD and do the build for you. But all the ones I'm aware of are are relatively expensive. Yeah, I got yeah. into like 3D modeling a little bit as my quarantine hobby. <laughs> and that which immediately made me think, like, how do video games, like when people make video games, right? Because they're the point is, is that you're supposed to be able to release them on like all the platforms now, right? Like you you see a video game, it's not just like on PlayStation or Nintendo or whatever. It's on it's on like everything. It's on it's for games. It's for the Switch. It's for all of them. So I always kind of wonder, like, well, how do they do their testing? I kind of find a whole lot on it. It seems like every it's still like a very closely guarded secret of video games. I did see a little bit that like Unity uses AWS because AWS has actual Mac like instances. Like you can run Windows instances and you can run Mac instances. But for the rest of them, I don't know. Just build and hope it runs and people can install it. If you listen to the comments from the gamers, then yeah, that's the exact strategy. Build it and let your customers figure it out. <laughs> yeah, your customers do the acceptance testing. That's my business model too, you know, what can I say? <laughs> I, I haven't done, that's a really good point. I haven't done any work in the game industry, but yeah, there's a lot of compiling for different platforms that happens there. And I don't know what the compile time or the build time for your average game is. I don't know, it must get pretty involved. Like I feel it's like just like some really small scenes and like small little games in Unreal. And that's, it's backed by C++, so you actually have to go through and compile everything. And even for just like a, you know, something really small, it can take a while. Yeah. Any game you download these days is, it seems like it's a minimum of five gigs. And a lot of that's video assets, I would assume. So I don't know if those are involved in the, the compiling process or if you can compile your video assets once and then just compile the runtime for each specific platform. I don't know how that works. Next week on Adventures in Game Development. Right. Let's see who we know that works in that industry that we can get on the show 
No, there was a couple plugins and like they weren't they weren't very well developed for different platforms. And I know like enough C plus plus that I was like, huh, maybe this should be my new calling. Just go and then fix all the platforms and set up the CI C D and make plugins that actually compile to the different the different platforms and sell them on the marketplace and what am I doing all this data science stuff for anyways? And then I figured out, you know, very quickly that it wasn't that simple. hopes and dreams as most as most things tend to be it was not that simple yeah i think if you have like specific hard if you have specific hardware and specific security um considerations you should really like look into your choice and not be nearly as casual as i tend to be with like well this one looks good today you know it's got the action that i need um this morning so we'll use that you know maybe actually go through and do your research and think about it a little bit and see which one Kind of, or if any of them support the different platforms that you need. Unless you have a coupon, because we know if you have a coupon, you're using it. Of course, I'm signing up. <laughs> oh, you know, that's one thing with uh, I signed up for the free trial of Spacelift, and they immediately, like, they contacted me on LinkedIn. They got me in a Slack Connect group with them. They were like, call us if you, or not call us, but, you know, like, message us if we need anything. And I was like, oh, well, this is almost as good as a coupon. Sounds <laughs> better, though. So do we have any uh, like good projects for people starting off in CI/CD? I think you were talking about that a little bit earlier, John. Well, yeah, I'm actually going to do a course probably starting in April uh, about this. I'm going to walk people through. So, so stay tuned. I'll, I'll give them more details as uh, it approaches. But my the concept of my course is I, I intend to walk people through publishing a, an app. Maybe it, maybe you built a PHP app or, or something, or if you haven't built one, we could just use WordPress or React, uh, some React to, to do NBC or something like that. The idea is to take a simple app that uses a database and deploy it to Kubernetes using CI CD with uh, the sort of review environment that, that, uh, Will talked about. So you can, every time you create a pull request, it'll pop up this, uh, temporary environment you can play around with, do your testing on. And then when you merge, it will tear it down and throw it away. So I, I think that's, that's a really good way to start. Pick a simple app if you've written one. If you haven't written one, you can just download, like I said, to do MVC or something like that, some sort of test app or, or WordPress or w- whatever, PHP, MyAdmin, anything like that. Anything that's an app that has a web interface is a good place to start and just deploy it somewhere uh, and deploy it automatically. You don't, you know, I, don't, I don't mean like type cuddle, whatever. You'll do that in the process, but get it automated so that when whenever you commit, you run your tests, and when you hit merge, it automatically deploys. Which tool you use is less important than just getting that process done. So I'll, I'll probably do the course with GitLab CI, but I'm going to try to keep it as generic as possible, like simple bash commands, so that anybody who doesn't want to use GitLab can apply the same knowledge to GitHub Actions or to Jenkins or whatever other tool they want. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, would That's be- yeah, the like act of taking something from code to deployed is a huge learning experience for somebody interested in getting. T- getting into DevOps. And another key point that you mentioned there is if you don't know how to write code or if you haven't built an application, that's not a blocker because in the software engineering world, like one of the most common things for learning a new language is to create a to-do app. So if you go to GitHub and search for to-do apps, you're going to find thousands of them that you can download that meet those criteria of having a web user interface and a database backend and just use that. Exactly. Yeah, I would also add to that, try to get at least familiar with the idea of matrix builds, which is where you want to kind of build things with different options, even if it's kind of, you know, you're sort of artificially putting it in there. So an example of that would be 
Uh, you take your you take your to do app and you install it CentOS, Ubuntu, and Alpine, and uh, you do that through Docker containers or however you're going to do that. But that would be three variants of the same package, and I'm sure that you know like things will come up along the way there, and then you'll kind of you'll kind of learn about that process as well. That's a really good thing if you're building a shared library and you don't know who's going to be using it. You know, you want to make sure it works on Mac, Windows, and Linux, for example, and you want to make sure it works on three different versions of Linux. <laughs> Then that, that's exactly the, the the time when those matrices are matrices are are, are called for. Yeah. Cool. Well, does anybody else have anything to add, or should we just go to picks? Let's do some picks. <laughs> Every week, one of us. <laughs> hey, folks! If you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All right, John, who wants to go first, Jonathan? I suppose. Not, not me. I'm not ready yet. I've got Give some. Give me a minute to Google something. I'm ready this week, so I'll, I'll stall for time and share way more details about my picks than what I should to give Jonathan an extra few minutes. So I've got two picks this week. First one is a movie called The Blacksmith and the Devil. It's on Netflix, and it's a super cool movie about a surprise no spoiler alert here it's about a blacksmith and he captures this demon that he thinks is responsible for all the trauma and turmoil in his life and he's got this demon captured and he tortures him but then there's this really cool plot twist at the end that has you going oh dude right on let's go and so i won't tell you any more than that to keep from ruining the the suspense but it's a really cool movie the blacksmith and the devil really well done only on netflix as far as i know but i only watch about maybe two or three movies a year and this was one of them so it was it was cool it was a good couple of hours spent the other thing for my pick this week is these eye drops called acuity so like as the as the old man in the group i feel uh, obligated to tell y'all that as you get older your eyesight's going to go bad and you need like a close yeah like you need a close circle of friends who will call you out so when you're heading into the store with your sunglasses on top of your head and your eyeglasses on your face that they stop you and go no 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 we don't do that around here so you need that group of friends in your life but otherwise, you can get these eye drops that just came out in fall of 2021. If you're like me, whenever you got old and your eye your eye drop eyesight for reading went to hell, these eye drops are specifically made for that. So you put these eye drops in, and then for like the next four hours, my vision is like it was 10 years ago. And so it beats wearing glasses, or more importantly, it beats trying to figure out where I left my glasses. So those are my two picks for the week. Do you ever wonder where you left the eye drops? So far, no. I've been using the eye drops for about a week now. So we'll see what the long-term impact of that is. But right now, I just keep them in the bathroom. And whenever I get up and get ready for work, I'll drop them in. And then around lunchtime, I'll go and put the next set in because they they only last for about four hours. Uh I have a pick ready now. Go for it. So I just finished reading a book. Uh, it's a it's an old book, but it's a classic book. It's a good book. It's been made into two movies. That's how old it is. It's been around long enough to make two movies out of it. It's called All Quiet on the Western Front, and it's a fictionalized story of a German soldier during World War One, 
And it really just tells the story of more the feeling of combat in World War One in the trenches, more than like a, a, a military story. Like there's, there's no story of conquest or, or whatever. It's just like, here's what it was like to live in the trenches and uh, deal with death and with the fear of death and, and uh, not enough food and that sort of stuff. So it's a really good book. Uh, uh, obviously, it's, I mean, probably everybody's heard of it. You don't want to read or listen to the book. Watch the movie. The, 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 there was one that came out in the 20s, I think, black and white, and then it was remade again in the 1970s. So, highly recommended. Nice. Cool. Well, I'm going to pick uh, The Wheel of Time. It is one of my favorite book series. I reread it every couple of years, and I wound up rereading it again because I tried to watch the Amazon series of The Wheel of Time, and I couldn't quite get through that, but I just decided to go back to the source material, go back to the books, reread those. Um, it really is like one of my favorite series. There's a couple there in the middle that you could probably skip and like, you know, you would be fine in terms of plot line and things happening and all that kind of stuff. Just get the cliff notes. But I don't know. They're really great. They're one of my favorite series. Go for it. So there's that. And then I think on Tech Picks, I've been playing around with this uh, program called Hisora, which is like a, it's it's one of these web frameworks. You like throw it on top of the database and then it just kind of spins up all your APIs. But one kind of neat thing is that it has subscriptions and real-time events. And another nice thing is you can also pull in like additional APIs. So if you have if you have like a series of microservices, you could use that to kind of tie them all together and then it could handle, you know, throwing your authentication tokens and stuff like that around. So I've just been playing a little bit with that. That's been fun. So it's it's a good program. I recommend it. Go see it. I think it's got lots of stars on GitHub. Right on. And yeah, that's it for me. All right, guys. Nice. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks and talk to you next week. All right. See you guys. Later. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.